near me. So um, a woman arrived at the gates of heaven, and while she was waiting for Peter to come to the gate, she peers through, and she sees this long table. And as she's looking at this long table, she notices some people. She sees some of her fam- she sees her parents. She sees some old friends, and then they notice her, and they start waving to her and saying, "Hey, it's good to see you. Great, we're glad you're here." And about that time, Peter comes by, and the woman says to him, "Wow, this is a really beautiful place. How can I get in here?" And he says, well, all you have to do is spell a word. So she says, which word is that? And Peter says, love. So she spells the word correctly, and Peter says, welcome in. So about a year later, Peter comes by to the woman, and he says, listen, i got to run some errands, and I'm wanting you to watch the gate while I do this. She says, sure. And as she's sitting at the gate, she notices someone coming towards her, And she realizes that it's her husband. And she says, hmm, I'm surprised he's here. And so she says to him, where have you been? How have you been? Oh, I've been pretty good since you died. I married the beautiful nurse who took care of you when you you were ill. And then I won a uh, multi-million dollar lottery. So I sold the house we lived in. And I bought this huge mansion. And then my wife and I, we traveled all around the world. We were on vacation in Cancun while I, and then I decided to go ahead and do some water skiing. And then I fell and hit my head. And, well, what a bummer. But here I am. And he says, so how do I get in? And she says, well, you have to spell a word. And he said, which word? And she said, Czechoslovakia. That's an ode to Valentine's Day, so beware, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) beware. So if you have your Bibles with you, your iPads, your phones, whatever device you use, I want to invite you to open the Word of God, and we're in the book of Hosea. Now, if you've never heard of that book, it's right after Daniel, and I think we're a little more familiar with the book of Daniel. If you go into names such as Obadiah, Joel, um, and stuff like that, then you've gone too far. Just go a little bit back. It's kind of in the middle of the word. And I'm reading from the message this morning, and the chapter is chapter 3, and I'm reading verses 1 through 5. But before we, I'm sorry, before we go ahead, can we just bow our heads one more time? Father God, I'm here, your people are here. And we know that you're already here. You've always been here. And so pour yourself out on all of us. Reveal your word. Provide encouragement. And challenge us, O God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So Hosea chapter 3, starting with verse 1, reading from the Message Bible. And it says, Then God ordered me. Start all over. Love your wife again. Your wife who's in bed with her latest boyfriend. Your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, 
love the Israelite people even as they flirt and party with every god that takes their fancy. Hosea does it, and he says, I paid good money to get her back. It cost me the price of a slave. Then I told her, from now on, you're living with me. No more prostituting around. No more sleeping around. You're living with me, and I'm living with you. The people of Israel are going to live a long time stripped of security and protection, without religion and comfort, godless and prayerless. But, but in time they'll come back. These Israelites will come back looking for their God and their David King. They'll come back chastened to reverence before God and his good gifts, ready for the end of the story of his love. Ready for the story of his love. So at this time, Israel is living in a time of national prosperity. Their worst enemies in the north, which are Syria and Assyria, are going through some internal struggles. And so Jeroboam, who is their king at the time, takes advantage of this opportunity, and he goes ahead and starts expanding the kingdom. He starts building out his power. And so at this time, Israel is really excited that it has so much, it's regained some of its old glory. But one of the things, the other things that Jeroboam brought along with his prosperity was idol worship. He brought a golden calf, and the people of God had now started to worship a golden calf, completely diminishing and destructing the image of God, that he was their provider, that he was their protector, that he had been the one who had led them out of slavery. And so it's around this time, it's in this kind of environment that, of prosperity and idol worship that God calls on Hosea to go and speak a word. And the message that God gives Hosea would challenge the best of us. It's a really short and simple message. He tells Hosea, go find a prostitute and marry her. In other words, he says, go to Broadway Street in San Francisco. Or maybe go to South Central in L.A. Or maybe Stockton Street in Sacramento. Actually, you can even go to the Roseville Terrace Apartments on Highland Reserve Street. And I want you to look for a prostitute, and I want you to marry her. Now, if that was not enough, God continues and he says, not only do I want you to marry her, I want you to make her the mother of your children. Now, Hosea was a prophet, and if, we, if you don't know what a prophet is, he's basically a mouthpiece for God. And as a prophet, he would have visions and he would have dreams about God's plans and God's thoughts. And, 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 and he would share that with the people that God would tell him to share it with. How was Israel, he was going to be, he was an ambassador and a representative to God's people. And God was asking him to marry who? And God was asking him to have children with whom? This was not in Hosea's plan. It wasn't what he anticipated. This was not a dream that God had given him the memo or the heads up on before. How was Hosea going to explain this to his friends? 
How would he, how would Israel even take him seriously if he stood up to talk being married to a streetwalker? What would people think? I mean, what kind of story could he tell at his wedding when his friends and family ask, hey, how did you guys meet? But Hosea does what God commands. He goes and he finds Gomer. He brings her out of the sex trade. He marries her. And the Bible says that they have three children. Now, if you're looking for you families who are looking for some Bible names, you might want to consider some of these. Jezreel is the first one. What about not loved? What about not my people? And so this brings us towards our text this morning. It says, start all over. Go show love to your wife again. Your wife who is in bed with the latest boyfriend, your cheating wife. Love her the way I, God, love the Israelite people, even as they flirt and party with every God that takes their fancy. We all pursue things. We pursue health. We pursue happiness. We pursue financial stability. We, per- we, we pursue security and joy and a host of other things. And, and what has been discovered is that the more we pursue things, the more that we obtain things, We realize the one thing we're we're pursuing, we get used to it. And then we're back on track and we're looking for something else. Therefore, we're continuously on this route, this path of pursuing things, thinking that we're going to find fulfillment, thinking that they are going to bring us what we need. I think it's the reason why we update the things in our lives. We update our phones, we update our cars, we update our homes. And we even sometimes update our looks after a few years because there's always this newer version. There's something else that we want. And this is where we find Gomer, having been pulled off the streets and the sex trade and married and become a wife and a mother, she still feels something is missing. She's not fulfilled. There's something that, that, that she feels is not part of her life. And the reason is, is that Gomer has actually started to believe that love can be purchased. That love is found in things. It's found in relationships. It's in men and material things. It's found, it's found in the things that she identifies with in that moment in her life. And yet she could not see that her husband had gone to find her and was willing just to bring her home and love her. He just wanted to love her. But Gomer couldn't figure it out. And so what she does is she leaves. She runs back to what she was used to. And so God says to Hosea, go and look for your wife again. Go look for the woman you married and that you vowed to love. Go look for her again. Go look for the woman who yelled and said, I'm off to see my lovers. They'll wine and dine me. They'll dress me and caress me. Go. Go and find this woman that is your wife. Go again and find your cheating wife. Who in this room would do that? Pursue someone who's cheated on them. Name a movie 
that isn't Christian-based that actually promotes pursuing somebody who has cheated on you. I mean, you don't see magazine ads about it. When's the last time you flipped through your Instagram or Facebook and someone was posting about how they were cheated on and they were pursuing the person who cheated on them? The thing is, we live in a world where the concept of love has been robbed of its true meaning. We've reduced love down to one day and it's projected, and this one day is actually projected to spend, people are projected to spend $24.7 billion in one day. They'll spend it on jewelry, on chocolate and candy, on cards, and it creates this illusion that love can actually be bought. We're conditioned by all the advertisement and marketing that love actually has a price tag on it. We've reduced love to fantasy suites, candlelight dinners, romantic getaways. And this is the crazy one, 25 men or women vying for one person's attention. Hello, Bachelor. Is that normal? But we think this idea of pursuing someone, someone pursuing us that way, is what love is. And because this is what we're exposed to, because this is what we know, because this is probably the experience we've had, we impose this idea of love onto God. And we lose sight that God's love is not this kind of love. Anyone who's in a real relationship knows that love takes work. Hello? Anyone who's in a real relationship knows that you have to get up every morning and make love a choice. Anyone who's in a relationship knows that love doesn't just happen. It requires a level of commitment that goes beyond how I feel. And so we realize that those of us who are in relationships with, and it doesn't have to be a spouse, it could be your friend, it could be anyone that you are connected with, but love takes work. It is active. It's not stagnant. That's why, that's why when it comes to God's love, the, the gospel writers write in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will have life. God gave his only son. That is what God's love is like. See, God's love, it's challenging. That's what Paul says. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is honest. It's not about self and what I can get for myself. It's not about keeping score. It's not proud. It actually, love has no fear. Some of us are in relationships and we're afraid in our relationships. That's not love. It's everlasting. It's, a, it's, it's unfailing kindness. It actually lays down its life for somebody else. When it comes to God's love, love is not just a feeling. You see, God wants to show us what love is so that we can show it to somebody else. And this is where we find Gomer and Hosea. Go and find this woman and pursue her again. But I want you to show her that you love her. And what's amazing about this, this conversation, this little scenario right here, is that God is actually expressing his feelings about how he feels about his people. 
it's one of the few times that we actually see God sharing that kind of intensity, that kind of love. You see, when, we per- when God pursues people, he's pretty much always pursuing people who are running away from him. He pursues people who would rather be with somebody else than with him. But God's love is reckless love. You see, that's why, that's why the Bible tells us that reckless love can have a hundred sheep, lose one, and leave 99 to go find that one. You see, reckless love is the, one that only, is, the one, is the kind of love that only has one son and says, I'll give it up so that you can have life. Reckless love has ten points, and if it loses one, it's not happy until it actually finds that lost one. Reckless love is selling everything you have in order to ha- find that one pearl. Reckless love is a father who runs out to meet his son who squandered his complete inheritance and restores him back to his rightful place. That, family, is reckless love. The reckless love of God pursues, pursues, pursues. And David tells us that we can't hide from it. In Psalm 39, he says, if you go to the heavens, I'm going to find you there. If you go where the dead people are, I'm going to find you there. And if you try to camouflage yourself with darkness, I will find you there. God's love is reckless because he says to you and he says to me, you are a chosen people. You are a nation of priests and kings and you are holy. Reckless love. It pursues with the purpose of redeeming. So Hosea, after getting this command from God, to go find his wife and to love his wife, he goes out and he starts looking for her. He has to go back into those back alleys where nobody in their right mind would go. And he starts walking up and down the street, calling for his wife, Gomer, Gomer, Gomer. He sees some friends across the street and He bashfully goes up there, but he's like, hey, have you seen my wife? They look at him, and they're just embarrassed for him. They're humiliated for him. And then he crosses the street because he sees a group of men. And he's like, hey, I'm looking for my wife. She looks like this. She's about this tall. She has long hair. That's my wife. And the men can't even keep eye contact. They lower their heads. They're like, man, I'm sorry. And Hosea is desperate, desperate to find his wife. And as he turns a corner, he finally gets a glimpse of her. And he sees her standing on an auction block. Her hair is matted. Her eyes have no light in them anymore. Her cloak is barely on her body. She notices that her husband is there. And she just lowers her head in shame. She cannot believe that her husband has come back to find her. 
Hosea, when he sees her, is, is in full relief. He's like, I found my wife. I found my wife. And so he goes up to the auction block because he is going to get his wives back. And as soon as he reaches for his wife, the auctioneer says, hey, hey, hey. She has a price. And Hosea says, what? This is my wife. The auctioneer says, I don't care who you think she is. She actually has a price. Hosea takes out the price, pays the money. Hosea paid for something that was already his. Oh, church family, this is the gospel right here before there was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the gospel. God paid for you and for me even when we already belong to him. You see, the Bible says that everything, everything, God claims everything in the world on this earth as his. And we are his because he created it. We are his because he put breath into our lungs. We are his because while we were still yet sinners, he gave his life for us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the price for you and for me on the cross of Calvary. He gave himself to redeem us. He paid for what was already his. He gave himself as a ransom for you and for me, and he paid for what was already his. You see, we, we, we were bought with a price. Your life today, as you sit here, as you go about your life, it came at a cost. It didn't cost anything that we could afford. It actually cost Jesus his life. It was every last drop, no amount of money, no amount of jewelry, no amount of flowers or candy could ever compare with the cost that Christ paid for you and for me. He paid a price, even though we were already his. This is the gospel. This is the good news that God chose to die for you and for me, despite the fact that we were looking for other satisfactions, regardless of the fact that we ran away when God came by. God came in the flesh to pursue us. He came to pursue us, and he came to redeem us. The, the, the gospel isn't that we love God. That's actually a miracle that we actually know how to respond to such a love. But God himself loved us first. And he gave himself for you and for me. So Hosea, he takes his wife home. I can't imagine what that walk home must have been like. Gomer, probably with her head down not really being able to say anything. Hosea, just happy that he has his wife back. And he allows Gomer to just be at home. He doesn't crowd her. He doesn't press her. He doesn't push her. He allows her to go at her pace. And he only loves on her. See, that that is what Jesus does with us. 
when we find Je- when Jesus finds us and we get to accept that call to be in a relationship with us, he walks with us. He doesn't press himself onto us and saying you have to change everything at one all at one time. When we slip up, he says that's all right. Let's keep going. When he when we decide that we can't talk about how we feel, he says that's all right. I'll wait. When we get angry because we've been through so much, God says I will listen. The reckless love of God moves people back towards him. See, that's what real love is. It actually returns us back to this original state of who we were meant to be with God. It moves us towards this transformation of repentance and forgiveness. God's love is reckless, and he does this. He pours and pours and pours into you and into me as we are sinners, and he pours into us even when we're still rejecting him. You see, I know people sometimes have challenge with God's love being reckless. They look at the definition, and, and, and it says that it's, it's God, it's a, a reckless person is someone who is careless. It's someone who, who isn't calculated about what's going to happen. But you know why God's love, I believe God's love is reckless? It's because he trusts us. He trusts you. And he trusts me, broken people, with his love to share with somebody else. God is reckless in his love because he's crazy about you and he's crazy about me. God's reckless with his love because he he actually asks us to be reckless with our love. He's the one who says, love your enemies. He's the one who says, pray for your enemies. He's the God, the reckless God, who says, love somebody you can't even see or feel or touch. Reckless love that God gives us says, pick up your cross and follow me. You see, God isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done. That reckless love that he just pours into us. And he says, it's not the love that the world tells you it is. That's why when I was here, when Jesus was here, people couldn't take it. They couldn't understand this deep love that healed people. They couldn't understand a God who would forgive a prostitute. They couldn't understand a God who would heal leprosy and not require anything back. See, you have to be reckless if you're going to invest in something and not expect a return. When God, when God, when God pours into you and I, he's not sure if he's going to get a good return on his investment. He hopes to. He wants to. He hopes that you will Take it on. But even if we don't, even if we say, no, Lord, not yet. Even if we say, I can't do this. The amazing part about God with his reckless love is that it still pours out. Because that's who he is. 
I want to, I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us this morning with this message that there is a Hosea mandate for each and every one of us. See, this, this story is, is a comparison of, who, of how much God loved Israel. And if God is Hosea, then that makes you and me Homer, Gomer. That makes us the ones wandering off. That makes us the ones pursuing things that don't really satisfy. That makes us the ones who are looking for other lovers. But we've been redeemed. We've been pursued and we've been redeemed. And for that reason, we have that challenge to do as Homer did and to go out. To go out and find that Gomer. Maybe that Gomer is a family relative. Maybe it's our neighbor. Hey, maybe it's one of us sitting here in church. And that's okay. But we are called to love the way God has loved us. Let us not fall into this idea that love is just love and that we stay where we're and we stay as we are. God's love transforms us from the inside out. As we begin to close this short message, I just want to invite you for a moment to bow your heads with me as we think about what love is in our life, the things we're pouring into, the things we're looking for to find satisfaction, the things that we feel give us security. And I just want us all at this moment, our struggle, our challenges, our lack of faith, I want us to just leave it at God's feet today. Because as we leave these things at God's feet, it just creates more space for God to pour back into us a reckless kind of love. Father God, as you see the heads bowed, as prayers are lifted up, as burdens are let go of, God, we, we need you to pour back into us a reckless love. We need you to be able to consume all that separates us from you. And we just pray, oh God, that when we lift our eyes from this prayer, that we will believe that you just want to love us, that you want to engage us, that you want to free us from the auction block. Help us, God, to grasp that depth of love that even while we are sinners, you still love us. 
it's reckless, God. You're reckless. But you do it with intention because you want to save us. And so we ask you again, Father, that you would take what we've given to you and make us open vessels to receive more of you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the